Once again, welcome to Harvest. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us today. Uh, and this is the time in our service where we get to dig into God's word together. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that and uh, get it opened up on your lap. We're going to be going to Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be some hardback black ones on the floor there around you, kind of under the chairs. Uh, you can borrow one of those and follow along with us there as well. Um, so today we're going to be diving into uh, the resurrection story as we've already been hearing about today. And I was thinking about this week. I remembered uh, back when I was um, when I was in high school, uh, in my kind of later high school years, my family was renting this house. Um, we were thinking about buying it, and we we're kind of renting it in the in the short term. And one day we came home from school and from work, and there was this this hole in the front yard, like about the size of like a milk jug. Like, not that big of a deal, just this little hole. Well, come to find out, it was actually a sinkhole. Uh, anybody know what a sinkhole is? You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, so over the next couple months, it started to grow, and it grew bigger and bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper until it pretty much took up the entire front yard of the house and started to come towards the front corner of the house um, where there was a bedroom uh, in the front corner of the house. And you can guess whose bedroom was in the front corner of the house, uh, yours truly. And so I start to get a little concerned and worried because it starts to kind of creep up to the foundation. And, and we know that if it goes underneath the foundation, the foundation is going to start to crumble. And if the foundation crumbles, the house is going to fall, Right. Well, just like a house has a foundation, the Christian faith has a foundation. And the foundation of the Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without that, all of it crumbles. All of it falls. It rests on this sole issue. Paul wrote it like this in 1 Corinthians. He said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. It all comes down to this miracle. Without the resurrection, Jesus died for nothing. His miraculous resurrection is what vindicates Jesus as God and with God and makes him Lord over all once again. And it's only because of the resurrection that we're here this morning worshiping as we are. So, the matter of the fact is, the truth simply is this. Jesus came back to life to offer me new life. That's what we're going to see from God's word this morning. That Jesus came back to life with the purpose to, to offer me and to offer you new life in him. So with that in mind, look at verse 1 of Matthew 28. It says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Here's the first point this morning. If you're taking notes, you can get this. This is your first major point. Jesus' life demands my attention. Jesus' life demands my attention. So let's just kind of walk through this here. It says, now after the Sabbath. So this is written in a Jewish setting, in a Jewish context. So for them, the Jewish Sabbath was actually on Saturday, all right? So it says, after Saturday, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. The first day of the week is the same as it is now, Sunday. 
So on Sunday morning, Mary and Mary, we'll call them, okay? Mary and Mary go running to the tomb, right? These two ladies were followers of Jesus. They had been following him for a while now. They were faithful, dedicated disciples, faithful, dedicated women to Jesus. And they were going to the tomb. Um, if, we, if we go and we read the other accounts of this story, like in the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of Luke, it gives us an extra detail of information. They say that they were going to the tomb and they were carrying spices, okay? You see, what they did back in that day was they didn't embalm people like we embalm people now. They would wrap them in linen cloth and they would cover their bodies with like spices and perfumes and things like that to kind of mask the smell of death uh, in the first week as people were seeing him. But on, since Jesus died on Friday, since he was crucified on Friday and the Sabbath was on Saturday, they had to get his body prepared and into the tomb before nightfall Friday night. All right, this is part of the Jewish customs. And so they kind of had to rush through the burial part and they wrapped him and they got him in there, but they hadn't fully prepared his body. And so the ladies are going back to the tomb now Sunday morning after their Sabbath rest to finish preparing Jesus' body with the spices and the perfumes and the stuff, okay? So they are running, or, or I'm sorry, they're going back to this tomb because they believe their assumption is that there's a body to take care of, that he's still dead, right? And, and why wouldn't you assume that? They just saw him die on Friday. They saw him crucified. They saw him wrapped up. They saw his body placed in the tomb. And you don't have to be around earth very long and experience very many deaths to understand the reality that when someone dies, they stay dead, right? Everybody's seen and experienced that in, in your life, right? Like that's the way dead people work. They stay dead. And so they're going back expecting to find this dead body that they can care for. What's interesting to me here is that even though they fully believe that Jesus is dead and still dead, even in his death, his life still demands their attention. They're still going, right? They didn't just put him in there and just forget about him. They're still going back and honoring and following and caring for Jesus. We have a second character that shows up in the story here is the angel. It says that an angel descended from heaven and there was a great earthquake when this happened because this is a sign throughout the Bible. We'll see earthquakes come with these type of spiritual beings. And it's a, it's a sign of their uh, supernatural power, their supernatural entrance to earth. Um, and so the angel descends, there's this giant earthquake and his purpose was he came down to do one thing, to roll away the stone, okay? So, so he comes down, and notice here when it says he rolled back the stone, that's in the past tense, meaning he did this before the ladies arrived, right? So it kind of feels like in the way the story's written that maybe he did it after they showed up, but in the past tense of the words, it says that he came down, he had already come down and rolled the stone back, and he was sitting on it when they would have walked up, okay? The second thing that's interesting to me about this is the angel came down to move the stone, and he did it by himself, you see, the tombs in that day were basically like a, a, like a carved out cave into the side of a cliff or a rock. And in order to seal the door shut so nobody could get in and mess with the body or do anything, they would take these giant heavy stones and roll them down and kind of lock them into place in front of the door. All right? It would take many, many men working together to roll that stone back up and out of the way. 
but it only took one angel. Right? He comes down, because he's a supernatural being, because he has supernatural power, he simply, easily, evidently, rolls it away, and then just sits down and takes a little rest while he's waiting on everybody else to show up. Okay? And it says, it describes him as he, he is, uh, he had appear, his appearance as lightning, and his clothes, his robe is snow white. Clearly, again, Matthew telling us, this is no ordinary man here. And what's interesting to me about the angel's entrance is that it shows that Jesus' life didn't just have the attention of humans. It had the attention of God himself, right? God was paying attention to what was going on with this Jesus guy. So much so that he sent angels to Jesus in his life multiple times. This isn't the first time we see an angel show up to Jesus, right? The, he, the angels came at his birth to announce the birth to Mary and to the shepherds. We see, again, uh, that they, uh, at his baptism, it wasn't really an angel, but the spirit descended as if a dove on him at his baptism. As he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, in his fasting for 40 days, the angels come and minister to him. At an event called the Transfiguration, he's up on a mountain meeting uh, with God and spiritual, supernatural spiritual beings appear on the mountain with him. And now here again at his death, an angel comes down. I'm sorry, at his resurrection, rather, an angel comes down. Obviously, Jesus had God's attention too, right? But then there's a third set of characters here, and that's the guards. The guards were at the tomb because their job was to guard it, to guard the tomb. And it says that when the angel showed up, that they trembled and they fell down like dead men. They fainted, basically, all right? Now, just picture this for a second. These are Roman soldiers, all right? War-hardened soldiers, part of the most powerful army in the world, scared of no one, scared of nothing. But as soon as the angel shows up, they're out like a light, right? Like, they just faint on the scene right there because of the fear and power of this being showing up. And their whole purpose for being there was to guard the tomb. To guard not just the tomb, but the body, right? To keep it there, make sure no one messed with it so nothing would happen with it. And, and we find out if you look at historical records that if a Roman guard failed at a task like this, their penalty was actually death themselves. So if they failed to guard the tomb correctly and they lost the body, they were supposed to be killed. So do you think that Jesus had their attention at that point? Right? Like, if we don't keep this guy in here, it's not going to go well for us. Right? So they, and they were still there when the angel showed up. So their assumption was, their belief was that the body was still in the tomb. They thought Jesus was still there because they were still there guarding him. The angel shows up, rolls the stone away. They faint. When they come back to, I'm sure they quickly looked inside the tomb and guess what? No body. And so if you read further in the story, you find that they, they immediately run off to go find the Jewish leaders and tell them, hey, the body's gone. Like, what do we do? Like, the Romans are going to have our heads. This is really bad for us. What are we going to do? And the Jewish leaders make a plan to try to cover it up. So inadvertently, the guards actually kind of become some of the first witnesses to the resurrection, which is kind of a funny irony in and of itself. I love the way God works, right? So... But 
They were there thinking that they were guarding this tomb, and Jesus' life even had his enemies' attention. Even those who wanted him dead, even those who were just guarding his body, everyone's attention was on Jesus. For centuries now, the world has tried to ignore the life of Jesus. They've tried to disprove it. They've tried to discount it. They've tried to trivialize it and mock it. They've tried to forget it and ignore it. Yet we can't. Because Jesus' life changed the whole course of history and has touched every part of our lives and world as we know it today. Let me give you some examples. It launched a new world religion that has lasted for centuries and touched every single continent on the planet. It has shaped the face of art and music for generations. Two of the biggest worldwide holidays were created, first because of his birth and secondly because of his resurrection. It has produced droves upon droves of literature and study. The life of Jesus is so pivotal to the course of history that our entire dating system to this day is built around what happened before or after his life. Not like dating going to the movies, the other type of dating, okay? Everything's marked as a date, either BC or AD, right? BC, before Christ, AD, Latin term for basically after Christ, okay? Just recently, our oldest daughter was reading this book. Uh, it's like a, a book on like, Egyptian history or something like that. And she was reading through and she, asked, she, was, she got to some dates and she was like, Daddy, what, what is this date? That, what, what does this mean behind these dates? And, and behind the dates, it had, you know, such and such year, uh, BCE or CE. She's like, what does that mean? I was like, I don't know what that means. I've never heard of that before. So we, we better look it up. So we Google it because that's what you do when you don't know something, right? Um, and so we Google it, and, and BCE uh, actually stands for Before Common Era, and CE stands for Common Era. They basically are replacements, replacement terms for BC and AD. We've gotten to the point where we so want to discount and forget about and push aside the life of Jesus that we're now coming up with new terms just to ignore that he ever existed. you can't do it. You can't ignore him because his life, his death, his resurrection have changed everything and it demands our attention. And so if you can't ignore it, then you have to make a decision about it. You have to decide what's your response going to be to Jesus. Yes or no? Will you believe or not? See, here's the reality, friends. Jesus' life demands my attention and my decision. Jesus' life demands not only my attention, but it pushes me to a decision about how I will respond to who he is. Let's look at some more of the story, though. Go back to your scripture. Look at verse 5. story goes on. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus 
who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from dead, and behold, he is gone before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Here's the second point this morning. Jesus' resurrection determines my answer. Not only does his life demand my attention, but his resurrection determines my answer to him. Let me show you here in the text. The angel starts by addressing the women. He says, do not be afraid. Because that's the natural response when you see an angel, (laughs) is to be afraid, all right? Everyone in scripture, that's the way they react when they first see the supernatural power of this being. And so he says, don't be afraid. He says, I know you. I know that you come to seek Jesus who was crucified. So this is the backstory to Easter, right? Before there was Easter, there was Good Friday. The day in which the perfect, sinless Jesus was killed at the hands of wicked sinners as a sacrifice for sin. The angel here is acknowledging that happened. And yet here we are three days later. They were there for him even though he had died. Death had not changed their answer about Jesus. Their answer was still yes. And they were still coming to care for their Savior. But the angel has good news for them. He says he's not here. He has risen. Implying that at one point he was here, and at one point he was dead. But not anymore. He is alive. He says, you don't believe me? Which, would you believe him? No. <laughs> I'd be like, no, no, dude, he's dead. I saw him die. He's like, no, no, he's alive. Come and see. Come and see for yourselves. You see, he says, I, I, I've, I've moved the stone for you. He is gone. You can come and check for yourselves. What's really interesting, this is like one of the coolest parts right here in the story, guys. Jesus didn't need the stone moved to get out of the tomb. Here in a couple of days, he's gonna go appear to his disciples. They're in this like locked up room with all the doors and the windows bolted shut. He just walks right through the wall. He's just like, hey, I'm here guys, all right? No problem. He didn't need the stone moved to be able to walk out. He could have just went right through the stone. He could have went right through the wall. The angel didn't move the stone so Jesus could get out. He moved the stone so the women could get in. So they could see that he was indeed gone. The stone was moved not to let Jesus out, but to let us in. He wants you to know. He wants you to see that he is, as he said, alive and not dead. So the women come in and they see that the body's gone. And then the angel says, go, 
go tell his disciples. Go tell them that he is risen, that he is not dead. That Go tell them the good news. This is the heart of the gospel. This, that Jesus died for our sins, but that he didn't stay there. He rose back to life to forgive our sins and to give us new life with him. He says, go tell the disciples that he is risen and that you will see him. That he's going to come. He's going to give you proof because I know you're not going to believe it just by hearing it. All right? It's, it's too crazy. It's too over the top to believe that he actually came back to life. So he's going to come and appear to you. He's going to show you. You're going to see that he is alive. This right here, friends, is the biggest issue for people when it comes to believing in Jesus. Can I really believe that he rose from death? Is, can I really believe that that is true? Like, I need some proof for that. Well, let me just tell you, first of all, the resurrection of Jesus, first and foremost, is a matter of faith. It is. It takes faith. But it's also a matter of fact. And so to help you with that this morning, I want to give you just real quickly here, I know this is going to sound like a long list, but it won't be, 10 proofs of the resurrection. 10 proofs that Jesus rose back to life. You might want to jot these down. Even if you already believe, maybe somebody you know doesn't and could use this help, and you could share this with them. 10 proofs that Jesus rose from death. Here we go. Number one, Jesus' resurrection was predicted in advance. In fact, 700 years before his birth, the prophet Isaiah wrote that he would be born, that he would die, and that he would rise back to life. Predicted 700 years before he ever even stepped foot on earth. Number two, Jesus' resurrection was predicted by Jesus. During his own life, he told his disciples multiple times that he was going to have to be killed that he would be dead, and three days later, he would rise back to life. He told them multiple times in specific detail. This isn't like one of those like psychic hotline things where it's so vague that you can't even figure out what they're talking about. All right? like, he told them specifically, this is what's going to happen. Number three, Jesus died on the cross. You're like, duh, Mike, I've kind of already got covered that one. But here's the thing. A lot of people say, well, no, no, he didn't really die. It was a fake. They, they made you think that he died, but he never actually died, and that's how he was still alive later. Well, let's just kind of walk through the, resur- I'm sorry, the crucifixion account, and let's see if you think he could have survived this. First of all, um, Thursday night, sleepless night, full of trials and beatings at the hands of the Jews. Friday, he goes before Pilate and is found guilty by the Romans and then is scourged by Roman soldiers who were professional torturers. In fact, many men who were being crucified during the scourging would actually die before they ever even made it to the cross because the scourging was so bad. After that, he's taken to the cross and he's crucified by a professional executioner who did this all the time. And at the end of the crucifixion, he is declared dead by the person who kills people for a living. I think he would know. But just to make sure, they take a spear and they run it up through his side and burst his heart sack. And the scripture says that blood and water flowed out. 
Then they take the body down to the tomb. And in that custom, they would have wrapped his body in about 100 pounds of linen cloth and covered it with spices and so forth like I talked about earlier. And so even if he was still alive at that point, being wrapped that tight in that kind of cloth would have asphyxiated him to death. But let's say that he survived the beatings, the sleepless night, the scourging, the crucifixion, the stabbing in the heart, and all the linen wrapping. Then he had to survive three days in a tomb with no food, no water, no medical attention. That would be a miracle in and of itself if he didn't die through that. Jesus died, clearly. Number four, Jesus was buried in a well-known tomb. We know that he was buried in the tomb of a, of a wealthy, well-known Jewish leader named Joseph of Arimathea. And so one theory is that whenever he rose back to life, it was actually a different tomb. It was a fake tomb that they were showing and that the real body was in another tomb somewhere else. But everybody knew this guy. Everybody knew who he was and where the tomb was. And in fact, when the guards go and tell the Jewish leaders, hey, the body's missing, their defense is not, oh, it's in a different tomb. Their defense is, oh, somebody must have stole the body, saying that's the right tomb. Number five, Jesus' resurrection was first witnessed by women. You see, during this day and age, women were not considered to be credible witnesses in court or in public hearings, all right? I'm not agreeing with it, I'm just reporting the news, okay? That's just the way it was done then. That's just the way they saw things. So if you were going to write a fake account of the resurrection to try to fool people into believing that he rose from death, you would not choose women to be the first witnesses to see the empty tomb because nobody would believe them anyways. Yet, in all four gospel accounts, it's always the women who find the tomb first. Number six, Jesus appeared physically alive to many witnesses. We have accounts that over the next 40 days after his resurrection, that he appeared to over 500 people in 10 different appearances. In several of those appearances, they touched his physical body. In one of those appearances, they gave him some food and he ate it in front of them. This was not a vision. This was not a hallucination. This was not mind tricks. This was the physical body of Jesus in their presence. 500 people. We need, what, like three witnesses today in court to make a case? Next, Jesus' resurrection accounts were recorded while witnesses were still alive. So another defense some people sometimes make is, well, the whole story about Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection, all that is, it's a myth, it's a made-up story, and it was written hundreds of years after all this happened. Not true. It was written within the lifespan of most of the people who witnessed him back to life. So if it was a false account, they could have spoke up, they could have challenged it, they, they could verify the testimonies, they could verify the witnesses. Next, Jesus' resurrection convinced his own family. This is great right here. So during his lifetime, his siblings all thought he was crazy. Right? Like this guy's going around like saying he's God and saying all this stuff. And like this dude's off his rocker 
all right? None of them believed him. None of them followed him. They were not on the Jesus bandwagon. Yet, after his resurrection, when he appears to them, James, his half-brother, who opposed Jesus' whole ministry up to this point, believes in him, believes in the resurrection, becomes a, a follower of Christ and a leader in the early church, and actually writes one of the books of the Bible because he worshiped Jesus as God following the resurrection. Now, I have siblings. Who has siblings here? Show me your hands. Who has siblings? Okay, quick question. What would it take for your sibling to convince you that they were God and you had to worship them? Right? Like, I've seen their stuff. I know what they did. Like, I was there when you lied to mom. Like, I know who you are. Yet, Jesus' siblings, after the resurrection, believed. That's probably what it would take. Right? Them coming back to life and showing you who they really were. Also, his brother Jude and his mother Mary all became followers of Christ and were part of the early church. There may have been others, but those are the ones we have a record of. Next, Jesus' resurrection transformed his disciples. You see, at his arrest, all the disciples, the 12, like we call the disciples or the apostles, they all ran away. They were scared. They didn't want to get arrested. They didn't want to die. They all run away. And after his death, they're all in the room hiding with the doors locked and trying to hide out. And like, they are scared out of their mind. But after they see Jesus, after the resurrection, suddenly they become these bold witnesses that go out and share the gospel and spread the word and build the church all to the point of where most of them died as martyrs of the faith. It's one thing to lie about something and to, to hold on to a conspiracy, but when your life's on the line and they're about to chop your head off for it, most people give in. None of them did because they all saw Jesus after the resurrection. And then lastly, Jesus' resurrection is recorded by non-Christian historians. It's not just a matter of biblical record. Josephus, Suetonius, Pliny, they all record that after Jesus' resurrection, that it impacted his followers in such a way that the church grew and they worshiped him as God. Right? And it was remarkable to them and to the Romans how much influence this movement had as a result of the resurrected Christ. Friends, there is more evidence to support the reality of the resurrection than almost any other major historical event of that time period. You go back into all the other history books, no event is recorded and, and supported like the resurrection is. The question is not, did the resurrection happen? But rather, how will I respond to the resurrection of Jesus? Well, in your Bible right there, it tells you how the women responded. Look at that last verse we read earlier. It says, they departed and they quickly, with great joy, to go and tell the others. They ran with excitement and joy because Jesus was alive. This is what happens when you finally, clearly see the resurrection. When you finally, clearly see who Jesus is. A joyful yes 
comes over you. A joyful yes to Jesus is all you can say. Oftentimes when I talk with people about Good Friday, I'm talking about them about Jesus and the gospel and, and God and so forth. You know what part they never, a lot of people struggle with it, but you know what part they never struggle with? The death part. They're never like, oh, I don't know if Jesus actually died. They never say that, right? Like, like they're never worried about the death thing because honestly, death is not that remarkable, right? Everyone, if you wait long enough, everyone dies. Are you, are you tracking with me? In fact, in fact, every leader of every religion that has ever existed has died. Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, Jesus, the list goes on. They all died. What's remarkable is the fact that what's sometimes unbelievable is not that Jesus died, but that he rose back to life. His resurrection, not his death, is the point. His resurrection, not his death, sets him apart. Jesus' death paid for sin, but Jesus' life, his resurrection, proves victory over sin. It proves that he was indeed the king. The crown of thorns was for the death that he died. But on Sunday morning, it turned to a crown of glory for the life that he won. That same life, that new life, that new joy can be yours if you will answer yes to Jesus. Once I see the power of the resurrection, yes is my only possible answer to Jesus. Once you get this, once this settles in your heart, once this becomes the anchor of your faith, yes is the easiest answer you'll ever say. There's a couple more verses we need to cover this morning. Look back at your scriptures, look at verse nine. It says, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. That's the women. He met the women. He said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus, the last point today is this. Jesus will come to me when I seek him. Jesus will come to me when I seek him. Jesus comes and meets the women as they're running back to tell the disciples because they came and sought him at the tomb. So Jesus shows up and he simply says, greetings. Like basically like, hello. <laughs> Which seems like not much, right? But it's all they needed. Because they were already fully convinced by the resurrection that this was him. That this is who he said he was. And so they immediately fall down and they take hold of his feet. And they worshiped him as God. Because that's what you do when you're in the presence of the risen king. 
the Savior of the world, God in the flesh. This is where faith in Jesus leads us to submission and worship. But he responds to them. He says, stand up. He says, go, tell my brothers. This is one of the coolest things. Notice the word he uses there. Look at your, look at your scripture. He says, go and tell my brothers. Who, Jesus? You mean, you mean the apostles, the, the 12 guys who ran off? The guys who abandoned you when you were being arrested? The guys who were scared and fearful? And, and those guys, like, surely you don't want them back, right? Like, sure, we can find a better 12 than that, for sure, right? Like, he says, no, no, no. Tell them to come. Tell my brothers to come to me. See, Jesus wants to restore them back into the family. It doesn't matter what they did. He wants to bring them in. The same is true for us. Jesus loves you no matter what. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how you have failed, no matter what's on your record, Jesus loves you. He loves you no matter what. And he wants to bring you in to the family. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you another chance. You have to come to him. You have to seek him for new life. He says, go tell my brothers that they will see me. If you believe in him, faith, that's what faith is. If you believe in him and you seek him, come and submit to who he is as the ladies did, you will see him. The king will come and reveal himself to you and you will be saved and you will be free from sin and free from death and you will be part of the family of God. Faith and submission brings salvation. Jesus will come to me when I seek him. This is the heart of the gospel, my friends. We all, every human ever born, myself included, are sinners. I don't think we have to live very long on this earth to realize who we are. We're broken by sin. We have rebelled against a holy and perfect God, and there's no way we can fix that. There's nothing I can do to make it right. I can't do enough good stuff to overcome the bad that I've already done. I can't make it go away. I can't pay it off. There is no way that I can fix the debt of my sin against a holy and perfect God. And he knew that. So he said, I, I still love you. No matter what, I still love you. So I'm going to make a way for your sin to be forgiven. 
and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to be born as a human, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. He didn't die for his sin. He died for our sin, for my sin, for your sin, as a substitute, as a sacrifice, standing in my place, taking my debt, taking my punishment, taking what I deserved. And he was killed. And he went into the tomb. But praise the Lord, three days later, he rose back to life. He came back for us. You see, if Jesus would have stayed in the tomb, it would have all been over. If he would have stayed dead, there would have been no sin forgiven. There would have been no way out. That would have been it. But he came back to life to show us that he was God, to show us that he had victory and power over sin and Satan and death, and that he could grant us forgiveness. He could give us new life, just like his new life coming out of the grave. All we have to do is turn from our sin and turn to Jesus and come by faith and submission and saying, I believe. I believe that you're God. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. And I want you to forgive my sins and I will follow you from this day forward. And in that moment, in that moment of faith, it's done and you're a brother or a sister to the king. What are you going to do with Jesus today? The day is past where you can ignore or dismiss him. You have heard the truth today. Now you must decide what you are going to do with it. There's no more, I, don't, I didn't know, or I don't understand, or I haven't seen it. Today you have. Jesus came back to life to offer me new life. He came back to life to offer me, to offer you new life. Will you take it? Will you seek the king today for life? If everyone could just bow your heads for me for just a moment here. We're almost done. Just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. No one looking around, please. If, if you're here today and you have never before put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have never trusted in Jesus to save you from your sins, and you want to today, if you want to seek the king for life today, then I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer right now. Listen, this prayer doesn't save you, but if you have faith, when you pray it, your faith does. This is simply you taking your heart before the Lord and submitting to him in a moment of faith. So if you want to do that today, I'm going to pray out loud. You can just pray quietly right there in your head. 
just talking to the Lord. He hears you. You don't have to say anything out loud. You can just repeat this after me. Here we go. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot fix my sin problem. I believe that Jesus came to pay for my sin. I believe he died. I believe he rose back to life. And I am asking now for you to forgive me, to make me clean, to give me new life with you. I put my faith in Jesus and I will follow you from this day forward. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Everybody can look up. Now again, that prayer does not save you. But if in your heart you had faith in Jesus when you said those words, your faith saves you right here, right now. It's done forever. When you came in today, everyone received a response card with your sermon notes. Looks like this. Can you pull that out for me for just a second? Response card. Everybody, everybody grab it. Even if you're a member here at Harvest, if you're here every week, grab your card. It's okay. Everybody. Grab your card. Grab your pen. I'm just going to humbly ask if you would, please fill this card out today for us. Just put your, your name and stuff at the top. And there's a number of responses on here that you can mark, whatever applies to you. This is just a way for us to kind of know where you're at spiritually and, and how you're doing on your journey. And if there's any way that we can help you or pray for you. So here's, here's some options for you today. The first one says, I'm not a follower of Christ and I'm not ready to trust in Jesus for salvation. If that's you today, that's okay. It's okay. We understand. It takes time. But you can go ahead and mark that if that's you. Number two, I'm not a follower of Christ, but would like to talk with someone about trusting in Christ for salvation. So maybe you're, you're still not there yet, but you want some more information. You'd like a little more conversation to maybe help you understand more and get there. That's great. Mark that and we can follow up with you and help you in that area. Number three, today I've decided to turn from my sin and trust in Jesus for salvation. Praise the Lord that was you today, go ahead and mark that. We would love to be able to follow up with you. And lastly, I'm already a follower of Christ and I want to continue to follow my great Savior. If that's you, go ahead and mark that as well. And down at the bottom, if you have a prayer request, you can write that on there. We will make sure we pray for you this week. Or if you'd like more information about how to follow Christ here at Harvest, we can do that for you as well. You can mark that one. So if you would, please just fill that out. Mark whatever option applies to you. I'm gonna pray here in a second. We're gonna sing one more song to close today. At the end of this closing song, the ushers are gonna come forward and collect those cards, okay? You can just drop them in the buckets when they come by. This is not another offering. Please do not give us any more money, all right? Just drop your cards. That's all we ask of you here at the end. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you, God, that you, that you are a God who loves us no matter what.
Lord, that you take us just as we are. Lord, we don't have to clean up. We don't have to fix anything. We don't have to get it right. We just have to come in humble faith and submission and fall before you and ask, Lord, please forgive me. And you do it. You do it every time. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, Lord. Thank you for making a way for us to be saved. And today, we stand before you as people who have heard the truth. Now we're asking God that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and to make that truth a matter of faith for us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.